Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. We are talking about our series called Facing the Monsters. We've talked about so far the monster of fear. We've um, also talked about, um, anybody remember what we talked about last week? Anger, forgiveness a little bit, kind of tied in that, but the monster was anger. And, you know, we talked about the Hulk and, you know, he said he's always angry. He's always ready to go. And maybe we can kind of relate to that. Well, um, we've got one we're going to talk about in just a moment, but I got to tell you a little story first. When I was a younger man, I was out and about one time and I looked and I, I saw her. And I was like, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah. I mean, I'm just being honest. The, the curves were something. And in my thought, my mind was just racing. I was like, I have got to have her. And I knew she wasn't mine. I knew it wasn't right. But I went up and I took her. What? Y'all are looking at me weird. What are y'all thinking? It was a little toy plastic boat when I was six years old. What, where's y'all's minds at, okay? Y'all need, y'all need some Jesus. I'm glad y'all are here today. <laughs> some of y'all were getting a little nervous. I can see your faces. I can see that. But today we are talking about a difficult subject to talk about, and that's lust. And we are talking about this topic that Jesus dealt with. And Jesus took the idea of lust and he turned people's uh, ideas about lust on its head. They thought, okay, it's a serious thing. God had told them in the old covenant to, you know, to avoid things that would lead to lust. But Jesus comes and he says, oh, you thought we were serious about it back then. Wait till you hear what I've got to say about it. And here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 verses 27 and 28. He says, you have heard it that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, ladies, you're not off the hook. We can flip that too and say any woman who looks at a man lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus talked about adultery, you know, sex outside of marriage. And then he said, I'm going to tell you that when you look at someone lustfully, that what you're doing is you might as well be committing adultery. That is a shocker. And that is like, wow, that is impossibly high standards, it seems like. That's a little bit about what Jesus was trying to do. He was trying to help us see that without him, without his sacrifice, it was going to come later. There's really no hope of being perfect. There's really no hope of being righteous. But the truth is still the truth. He's saying, if you look at someone lustfully that is not your spouse, you are guilty, he says, of committing adultery. And then he goes on and he teaches us to deal with it drastically. He says, look, here's how you deal with it. When lust comes rushing in, look at verse 29. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Well, Jesus covered it. Sermon's done. We'll see you guys later next week. pretty much taken care of right 
I mean, that's pretty much cut and dry. He's like really serious. He says, if you've got a lust problem, he says, gouge your eye out, cut your hand off. Now, Jesus was speaking a little bit. He was giving some, you know, exaggeration for emphasis. But what he's saying is take the sin seriously. Take the sin seriously. Last week, if you were here, when we talked about anger and forgiveness, uh, we had little keys for you to come and take to symbolize, you know, you're letting yourself out of the prison by forgiving someone and letting the anger not have power over you anymore. Well, today in fitting with the sermon, we've got some ice picks and we have some axes. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We're not, we're not going that route. We're not going that route. Um, but here's the thing. Do we, you and I, do we need to get drastic about dealing with lust? Nobody wants to say anything. They'll be like, they're going to think I'm really struggling. <laughs> I can't even amen, you know, because do we need to get serious about it? It's a problem in our culture. It's a problem in our culture and we've got to get serious about it. So the question is, how do we get serious about lust? And these other ideas that lead us into more and more sexual sin. You see, sexual sin is, is dangerous. And the whole discussion about weighting of sin is, is tricky. And, you know, there's different people that have different ideas. The truth is, is that one sin can separate you from God. Because the, the, the standard is perfection if you want to be saved without Jesus. You know, that, that's what it is. So one sin, so if, if your one sin is lying and my one sin is murder, without Jesus, we're both lost. You know, my sin has a whole lot more consequences than your sin of lying, but you're still lost without Jesus, and I'm still lost without Jesus. The good news is, is that with Jesus, any sin can be forgiven. As much as that's mind-blowing to us that somebody who commits, like, the sin of murder... You know, could be saved. That's, that's the truth. That's the beauty and the, just the mind-blowing amazingness of grace. But there is a difference in sin. And there are different consequences of sins. There are some sins that have great earthly consequences. And there are even sins that have, seem to have, according to Scripture, more of a weight in how they affect our relationship with God. And here's what I mean by this. Here's what it says in, in 1 Corinthians. Uh, it tells us very, I, I'm going to kind of paraphrase, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, it tells us that other sins are done outside the body, but sexual sin is done in or against our own bodies. And it, what it does is it, it sort of changes our hearts in powerful ways. Because sex is intended to bring a, a couple together and make them one. And so that's why he says, you know, when you get involved in sexual sin, it really does some damage. And so God doesn't hate you because you get involved in sexual sin. But what it does is you put a wall between you and God when you get involved in sexual sin. That's how I believe it's really different. God doesn't say, well, I don't like you because of that particular sin. You know, sin offends God and, and he's, we've got to be separate because of sin. We've already established that, right? Y'all with me? Y'all with me? But what it does is it pushes us. We get, because let's be, let's be honest, when we hurt somebody that we care about, usually our first response when we've sinned against them, especially when they don't know, we get really angry at them, don't we? 
We try to hide it, but it bubbles out. We get angry. You know, let's just say we told a lie about our friend. I'm I'm being very simple here. Let's say we told a lie about our friend and, you know, we're feeling guilty about it. And so our friend says, so, uh, hey, where were you last night? What are you judging me for? We just, you ever done that? You ever blown up like that? Oh, y'all, y'all too good for that? All right, whatever. But anyway, but you see what I'm saying? Because when we've offended someone, whether they know or not, we are on edge and we feel guilty. And so we can sort of boil over and bubble over. And I believe that's why he's saying avoid sexual sin because it is dangerous and it's deadly in your relationship with me. And it will make you push me away, push God away and keep me at arm's length. It's not God's doing that pushes us away, but it's our mind that pushes away. So here's the thing. This monster that we're talking about today. We want to face these monsters. This monster of lust is a deadly monster. But what if sexual sins and lust isn't really a struggle for you? I'm tempted to call bull (laughs) if you say that it isn't. But who knows, there may be some people that it's not really an issue for. You You may not have a problem with lust and things like that. But here's the thing. Are you off the hook? No. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 says this. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes from, not from the Father, but from the world. You see, Scripture teaches us that there are many types of lust. There are many types of lust. Of course, the first one and the most prevalent maybe comes to mind is the idea of sexual lust. And so that's one that really pops up. But we can lust over food, can't we? Come on now. Tell the truth. I mean, Krispy Kreme wouldn't exist if that wasn't the case. You know? We can lust over power. We can want power so much, and it can be so enticing to us. We can lust over recognition. I just want people to know me, to see me. I don't want to be invisible anymore, and we can just desire it so much it becomes a, a part of who we are, that desire to be recognized. We can lust over, of course, money. We can lust over material things. Have you ever caught your... And you can describe it different ways, but deep down, that's what it is. It's lust, right? You can say, man, my neighbor has got this amazing car, and I got this beater, you know? I got this beater. This one hits home to me. I've got an old truck, and, you know, it's it's tempting, you know? Somebody's got this $75,000 truck rolling around, and he's like 18 years old, and his name's Hunter, you know? (laughs) It's like, and it's squatted. I'm like, don't squat that truck, man. I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm sorry. I've got to calm down. Okay. (laughs) I'm not that crazy. I'm not that crazy. But there's so many types of lust. So none of us are off the hook. And so lust comes in many formats. And in James chapter 4, we get a little bit more of an idea. James chapter 4 verse 1 and 2 says this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? He says, your, your desire, excuse me, you desire and do not have so you murder You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. James is writing and he's saying, look, all these different desires, and he doesn't necessarily say that it's talking about sexual lust, but guess what? That word there in verse 2 that's uh, dependent on this particular passage. Y'all trying to play with me? You're trying to hide it? I'm pointing at the screen. There you go. You desire. Guess what that word is in the Greek can be translated? You lust. 
You lust and do not have, so you murder. Now, here again, James may be talking about actual murder, but we also know that in the Sermon on the Mount that we referenced there in Matthew chapter 5, that Jesus the, uh, connected hatred with murder. So he may be talking about actual murder, or he may be talking about you hate people because they've got something you want and you lust after it. But the purpose is there. The truth is there. We can get caught up in desiring over stuff and wanting it so bad that it consumes us. And so James also, in his writings, gives us some lessons on how to defeat the monster of lust. You want to see how he says? Or any sin, honestly, for that matter. The first step is vital. The first step is this. Own your part. Own your part. Own your part. Our world is full of people, myself included, that want to blame others for the situation they're in. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't misunderstand me. Don't tune me out because there are things that are done to you that are of not of your control and people will mistreat you and they'll abuse you and they'll do all sorts of things wrong. But when it comes to our sin, that's what we're talking about this morning specifically. When it comes to our sin, we have to own our part. We have to admit our fault in the matter. We have to admit that we are a part to play. When it comes to our sin, there may be other people involved and they may have coerced us and pushed us and prodded us into it and tempted us into it but we are not an innocent victim when it comes to our sin our own personal sin James chapter 1 verse 13 and 14 says this let no one say when he is tempted I am being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire if you and i can wrap our minds around that truth that our sin that we fall into especially the ones that we tend to fall into multiple times over and over and over again when we realize that it's not anybody else's fault but ours it's our desires that are tempting us and pulling us and dragging us away when we realize that that could be the key to freedom that can be the key to freedom as long as i'm blaming someone else i'm not going to find the solution am i as long as you're blaming someone else for your sin, you're not going to find the solution because there's always going to be a way to point the finger at somebody else and something else. And we've got to point it at the real problem. It's what is going on in us and is driving us to chase after that particular sin. In this case, we're talking about lust a lot today. We've got to admit our fault and own our part. It's nobody else's fault. I want you to, to say something with me. I want you to do a little exercise. I want you to sit with me. It's all my fault. Ready? One, two, three. It's all my fault. I'm going to say it again. You weren't very convincing. Number one, two, three. It's all my fault. Let's say it one more time. One, two, three. It's all my fault. And wives in the room are like, yes. <laughs> As their husbands say that, you know. But it's the truth for all of us. It's all my fault. And we need to wrap our brains around that. And you may say, you don't know what I've been through. And I know I don't know what I've been through. I am very, very sure that a lot of times that sins that we get caught up in can be caused by some trauma that happened to us in the past. But it doesn't let us off the hook. We might use it to, to cope. And we might use it to 
hide a pain and cover a pain. I'm not saying that, but you and I need to realize that we have to answer for our decisions. It's all our fault. People can tempt you. People can tempt you. They, no doubt they can, but honestly, you only do what you want to do. You know how I know that's true? Because Facebook is full of posts and memes where people are saying, I'm a grown man, I'm a grown woman, I'm going to do what I want to do. <laughs> we do that. People love posting those kind of things. You know, I mean, you can change up the variation all you want, but, they try, then, but then when they get caught up in sin, they're like, well, somebody made me do it. You know, it's before my time, but the uh, old comedian that used to be on TV, Flip Wilson, he had the saying, you might know what it was? The devil made me do it. You know, the devil's out there trying to tempt you and twist you and get you all mixed up, but you make your decisions and we need to own up to that fact. Scripture does tell us that bad company corrupts good character. So when you're hanging around the wrong types of people, they're going to lead you astray if you're not careful. But Romans 14 verse 12 does say this. So then each of us will give an account of himself or herself to God. When we stand up on the day of judgment, we will stand there not telling what our neighbors did, right? That would be fun, wouldn't it? I mean, some of us are taking notes, whether mentally or on Evernote. You know, we're like, ooh, you know what they did? <laughs> but we're going to answer for ourselves. Romans chapter 14 says we're going to answer for ourselves, giving an account of ourselves to God. So admit that you have a part to play. Next, James tells us this. Stop it before it grows. Stop it before it grows. If you don't flee the temptation early, guess what? It only grows. Like most problems in our lives, ignoring the problem doesn't make it go away. It just lets it get rooted more deeply in there and more dangerously and more deadly. So stop it before it grows. It doesn't die naturally. Lust does not die naturally if you don't do some drastic things to get it out of your mind and out of your heart. It's not going to die naturally, but unfortunately you will. It's going to take you over and it's going to destroy you. And so we've got to stop it as soon as we can. Verse 15 there in James chapter 1 says, Then desire, excuse me, then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin. And sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. If I don't, if, if you can think of a way to describe a monster, that's it, right? You know, you feed this beast. In this temptation, this lust, or, or whatever sin it might be, it, it creeps in your brain. It starts to take you over. If you don't get rid of it, if you don't shine light out and get rid of it, it's going to consume you. It's going to grow up, and it's going to turn uh, from a little tiny thing into this big, massive thing that can overtake you and devour you. How many times have we seen that in our own life? but also watching the lives of others. You know, people, big-time celebrities, who have everything that they've done has just come unearthed. Unfortunately, we've seen it a lot in people in ministry who had hidden lives because they would not get it out of their life early. It grows and it grows and it grows until one day they go to feed it and it eats them. We've got to be careful to make sure that we stop it early so it doesn't grow. We've got to learn to say no quickly because the moment that we begin to entertain the idea, we've already begun to lose. The moment we start to entertain the idea of that particular lust or that particular sin, we start to lose. I love the story of Joseph. Joseph is a guy in the Old Testament um, who, in case you don't know, uh, he was a guy who was a really good guy. 
he maybe he had a little bit of a pride problem. You know, you read the stories and you kind of think, you know, some things you've probably been better off not saying that out loud, Joseph. <laughs> you know, sometimes you think that. But in particular, this one case, he gets sold into slavery by his brothers. He ends up being taken to Egypt and he's in the house of a high up official in the Egyptian government. Well, his wife, Potiphar's wife, takes notice of him because it says he was a good looking guy. And she plots this plan to try to get him to go to bed with her. And so even one day she makes sure that nobody's in the house, none of the other workers are in the house and so she comes and says hey come to bed with me he says nope not going to do it and she persists persists and finally he realizes I've just got to run I've got to run so she grabs his clothes and he literally runs out of his clothes and he was some level of naked I'll say because I'm from the country I said naked when you're running and there's trouble brewing it's naked and so there's some level of naked and he is running away and he does all he can to get away Now, the story at first takes a really bad turn. She decides to frame him and make it look like he was guilty and he spends time, but God delivers him. But the truth that I want you to to focus on right here is we need to have that attitude when lust or temptation or sin, come, whatever it may be, comes into our life and there's an opportunity. We need to say no right to begin with. We need to say no right to begin with like Joseph did. And then if the if it persists, we need to run. We absolutely need to run. But there's a truth that I want you to hear and I want you to see because I think it hits a lot of us right between the eyes, myself included. Pride is a gateway drug to lust and other sins. Have you ever fallen in to a bad place in your life in a sin and it really could be traced back to pride i mean think about peer pressure when you're a teenager you're at a place maybe people are drinking and people are doing drugs whatever you know you fill it in we all know the stories most of the time we won't walk away even though we may want to why because we don't want people to think that we're a little baby or that we're not cool It's all boils down to what? Pride. We care more about what they think of us than the truth that we know and we we cave in. And so it would be really easy for him to have said, Joseph to say, well, I don't want to look silly. I'm not going to run out with my clothes hanging off. You know, I'm not going to do that. I, I just need to stay here and I'll figure a way to get out of this mess. No, he said, I don't care. Pride is not going to stop me. I'm going to get out of this temptation. I'm going to get out of this situation. And you and I can learn a lot from that. Instead, we say, I'm going to fight through this and I'm going to muscle through this and I'm going to figure out a way to defeat this. But instead, we just need to remove ourselves. From certain situations. Forget pride. Forget what we think we look like. I care more about what my God thinks of me. And that's the attitude that I need to develop and you need to develop. Pride is often a gateway drug for a lot of other sins. So make sure that you say no and say no quickly. Our pride won't allow us to get help and admit that we need to get away from this struggle, from this sin, from this temptation. Doesn't matter if it's sexual lust or desire for success or someone else's possessions. Acknowledge it for what it is. Realize it, recognize it for what it is, and get away from it. Run. That may be physically running. That may be metaphorically running. But do something drastic to get yourself out of that situation. There's a a movie that you guys may have seen. uh, The 
they started with a movie called Facing the Giants and done quite a few movies. And sometimes the movies are a little bit cheesy, but they've got really good heartwarming stories a lot of times. But there was one called, I believe it was, um, was it, the, no, not Courageous. I just went completely blank. One of those movies. Had Kirk Cameron in it. You might remember that one. Fireproof, thank you, whoever said that. Fireproof, and he was dealing with pornography, and he was dealing with lust, and finally, when he came to his breaking point and realized he could not hide it anymore, there's a scene where he goes, he rips his computer out of his house and busts it with a hammer, or a baseball bat. He beats that computer, now that's a sacrifice, and that looks crazy, and I believe, if my memory's correct, there's a scene where somebody, his neighbors are like walking by, and he's just beating the computer with a baseball bat, but he is, to the point, he did not care. He did not care because he wanted to be free. And you and I need to be free and we need to say no. We need to get away. Lingering in a place of temptation when it comes to something like lust is like playing with gremlins. You guys remember that old movie? Remember gremlins? There was a few rules that they were given. The first little gremlin was really cute. Really, really cute. And the guy who gave him to him said, don't let him get wet. Don't feed him after midnight. And, a, and another rule, can't remember exactly, don't turn on the light. Because what happens is if you get them wet or you feed them after midnight or you turn the light on, they change from cute to hideous. They turn on you and they'll eat you alive. And if you think about it, our lust and our sins and our temptations that we wrestle with can do just that. You know, when you shine the light on them, you see them for what they are. And you thought they were cute, but really they're really nasty looking. And if you feed that temptation, if you feed that sin, that desire, it's going to grow on you and it's going to devour you. You've got to do all you can to make sure that you stop it right now. Stop it early. Get away from it. Don't let the monster grow. And then lastly, James tells us this. The truth will set you free. He doesn't say those words, but I believe we can understand that from the passage of Scripture. Just like the gremlins, when you shine light on them, you see them for what they really are. Verse 16 says this, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. After all that stuff he says about not letting the sin grow and admitting that it's your fault, he says, don't be deceived, don't be fooled, because most of us get caught up in the particular sin we struggle with or the lust that we struggle with. We get caught up in it because we believe the lie that it's really a good thing. You know what I'm saying? We believe the lie that this lust is actually a good thing. I always might make the, the crazy analogy of that sin, if it felt like sticking your hand in a bear trap, not many of us would do it more than once. Some of us are extra special, and we would do it multiple times, you know, probably me. But if that's what it was. It feels good at first. It gives you some pleasure. It gets you out of trouble, perhaps, maybe telling a lie, you know, gets you out of trouble. Our sin has some benefit, but ultimately it's like fishing. That There's some good bait there, but what? There's a hook in it, and it's going to hurt us, and it's going to ultimately end our life if we don't get control of it. And so we've got to do our best to make sure that we tell the truth because the truth will set us free. Our, our lust and our desires are just like those gremlins. They seem good. They seem helpful, and we keep them in the darkness of our minds, and they, keep, they seem pretty nice then. But when you let the light of the truth of God's word shine on them, you see how deadly and how dangerous they are. But not until you let the light shine in, not until you tell the truth and get it out in the open. Don't fall into the lie that our lusts are escapes 
or that they're just simply fantasies. When you're dealing with lust, truth will set you free. Confessing it out loud, admitting what it is, will make it lose some of its power. Just like that. Just like that. There's another story from the Old Testament that you may be familiar with about David, King David. Also David, the at one time little shepherd boy who fought the giant Goliath. But there's a particular story, once he becomes king about him and then ultimately this woman Bathsheba who was not his wife and he sees her and he calls her to him and they have a relationship and it's a bad situation and we find the story in second Samuel uh, chapter 11 in, in chapter 12 and in, in verse 1 I'm not gonna read this whole story for you but in verse 1 there's a really telling idea that we need to understand it says in the spring of the year the time when kings go out to battle. David sent Joab and his servants with them and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. All right. In case you dozed off, I'm going to back you up real quick. Did you notice what the very first line of the passage said? It was the spring of the year, the time when... Kings went off to war. What is David's professional role? He's the king. It was the time when kings went off to war, but it says what there at the end of that little passage? But David remained at Jerusalem. He sent people to fight in his place, and he stayed behind. There needs to be a warning light going off. And there probably was in David's mind, but he just ignored it because that's what we'll do. If you're honest, if you're honest, we understand this is a very important lesson in that one verse. David was not doing what he was supposed to be doing. He was not in the place that he was supposed to be. And if you can think back, if you can take a a 30,000 foot view of your life and the times that you've really gotten caught up in sin, couldn't you sort of see some of those same tendencies in yourself? The times when you really got off the course was when you were not where you were supposed to be or you were not doing what you were supposed to be doing. And that's what David did. And it led him to a bad place. He was supposed to be at war, but he was home chilling. (laughs) He was hanging out and it led him to a bad, bad set of decisions. And if we're really truly honest, how many times, how many times have your struggles And your sins, your struggles with lust happened when you were lingering in a place you weren't supposed to. You should have been working. You should have been spending time with your family. You should have been reading your Bible. You should have been meeting with your church family. Fill in the blank, but you weren't. And your web browser ended up pointing in a direction it should never have pointed. Or maybe... You should have been home already, but a conversation at work went farther than it should. You see, David wasn't supposed to be or doing what he was supposed to be doing. He wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. He wasn't where he was supposed to be, and he fell big time. If you know the story, he ends up, as I said already, sleeping with Bathsheba. He's the king. She really can't resist. He calls her up there, and uh, her husband's out in the, fighting in the war, and they have this relationship, and then, lo and behold, she gets pregnant from it. 
And so then he begins this whole process of trying to cover it up. And he sends for her husband back from the battle lines and says, well, go spend some time with your wife. And this guy's such a good stand-up guy that he's like, nope, my brother's out there fighting on the front lines. They're not able to be with their family, so I'm not going to go and spend time with my wife. And so he won't do it. And David tries multiple things. And ultimately, he gives up, and he's so frustrated because Uriah won't go and sleep and cover, up, cover over his sin that he sends word with Uriah to the general and says, Push him out to the front of the battle lines, withdraw, and let him get killed. He murdered him. He murdered him to cover up his own sin. This guy who stood up for David so much that he wouldn't even leave and, and spend time with his wife, something he was, had every right to do because he says, I'm going to fight for my king and my country. David then betrayed him in another way and had his life taken from him. David wasn't where he was supposed to be or doing what he was supposed to be doing, and he fell big time. There's a quote that I've known for many years that says this, Sin will take you farther than you want to go keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. And I, I think about that quote a lot. And as I was preparing this message, I was like, I wonder who said that. And when I say this, some of you are going to get it right away and some of you may not, but I'll explain it. This quote is attributed to Ravi Zacharias. Ravi Zacharias, if you don't know, was a, a, a Christian apologist who kind of dealt a lot of lines of philosophy and explaining how you can believe God based on worldviews and philosophies. And he did some tremendous stuff, and he passed away recently. And the sad, sad fact is, is that since he's passed, it's come out that he had a double life in a lot of ways, at least in the last few years of his life. And was involved in sexual sin. And I was like, Wow, how fitting. <laughs> Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Who knows when he first said that statement? I didn't even know it was his statement. But who knows if he was in a good moment? Who knows if he was wrapped up in the throes, deep down caught up in sin. I don't know. And, and there's a temptation to say, well, let's throw that quote away. But something I've said, I, I think I quoted, I, I think I came up with this one. I don't know if somebody else did. But the truth from a hypocrite is still the truth. And if anybody could get a message to us now and say, this is true right here, it's probably Ravi Zacharias. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. So say no, get rid of it, admit your guilt, admit your part of it, and get away from it and tell the truth about it as quickly as you can. And even though he had so much valuable teaching, his reputation is smudged greatly because he did not take his own advice and heed his own warning. But even with all of David's failing with Bathsheba in the aftermath, I don't want to leave you on a low note here. I want to leave you that there's hope. 
There's still hope for you too. There was still hope for David. Nathan the prophet comes in and he confronts David and he does it in a really, really tricky way. He tells him his story. Remember I said, and, and you may know that David was a, a shepherd boy when he was younger. He took care of sheep. And so he comes in and he tells him a story about this rich man who had lots of sheep, had lots of herds. And then he comes in and some friends come over and he goes and takes this poor man's one sheep. All he had was one sheep. He takes it and sacrifices that and, and cooks that sheep for a meal for these people that come into town and David's blood begins to boil because he is a shepherd who literally spilled his blood to protect sheep and he said how dare how dare that guy that rich man who had all kinds of sheep take that guy's one sheep Nathan says you are the man and David is crushed Nathan goes on to tell him about how he's going to suffer for his sins. There's going to be a lot of fallout. And that's something we've got to realize when we commit sin. You know, God can forgive us and we can be free and we can go to heaven, but there still may be fallout. He tells him all this stuff, but then David takes the right attitude. It says in 2 Samuel chapter 12, beginning in verse 3, it says, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin and you shall not die. So even though you may have made some horrible mistakes, I've made some horrible mistakes. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Lust can take you and it can destroy you and it can take you farther than you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. But you can be free because Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. And so give it all to him and repent. When you realize your sin, repent. There is hope. There's hope. There may be consequences, but there can be healing. There can be healing. There can be life again. All you do is turn away from your sin. You turn back to Jesus. It's repentance. It's time for us to kill the monster of lust before it turns on us. If you're in the sound of my voice right now, whether it be right in here or watching online, if you're in the sound of my voice, that means you're alive and that means that there's an opportunity for freedom. As long as you have got this moment, you have the opportunity to be free. Like last week, we talked about those keys. With forgiveness, you can unlock your own cell, the one that you built for somebody else. Well, just the same way, the sin that is holding you back and it's eating you from the inside out. And every time you go back to that monster, it's a little bit bigger. Make sure you stop feeding it and turn and run to Jesus. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. If you need to begin a relationship with Jesus, we'd love to share the gospel with you. It simply says if you believe in Jesus and you're willing to turn away from your sin, confess him as king of kings and lord of lords, you can meet him at baptism and he'll wash you away, wash your sins away by the power of his blood and give you the Holy Spirit. You can be free and new and clean today. We'd love to talk with you about that. But if you're a a follower of Jesus already and you've allowed that monster to take control today's the day to be free too if you can hear my voice it's time to be free let's destroy that monster before it destroys us 
Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.